Welcome to our study on the book of James. You know, the book of James is full of precepts, showing us how to mature in our Christian walk. And this week's study is no different. Ladies, we are embarking on a portion of scripture that has been a hot topic of controversy regarding faith versus works. Well, let's turn over into our Bibles into James chapter 2 as we look at verses 14 to 26. You know, the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther actually rejected the epistle of James, calling it the epistle of straw in his 1522 edition of the New Testament because of its teaching of faith and works. He felt that it contradicted the Apostle Paul's teaching of salvation by grace through faith alone. See, Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You understand, at the time, Luther was surrounded by men who said that good works could save you. And he knew that God alone can save through faith alone. And his mission was to tell them. You see, Martin Luther and others thought that James was suggesting here a salvation that is won through human effort rather than the work of Christ on Calvary. And this, ladies, is far from the truth, as we will see in this study. For one thing, we know that Scripture does not contradict itself, right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. Therefore, the writings of James and Paul have but one real author, right? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit cannot contradict himself. You know, any interpretation of the Word of God which seems to make God contradict himself is always, ladies, a failure on man's part to interpret rightly what God has said. We have to remember that any time we are reading Scripture, we must read it in the context to which it was written. You see, Paul and James did not contradict each other, but rather they complemented each other. Paul's focus was on the unsaved man and how he might get right with God, whereas James's focus was on the saved person and how he might show his faith and demonstrate the reality of his faith. Remember, James started out in verse 1 as my beloved brethren, right? And again in verse 14, he says, my brethren. He is talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. James was a man deeply concerned that those who have faith in Jesus Christ express that faith in an appropriate lifestyle. You see, James teaches that faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. It is always attended by good works. Well, Paul also teaches this. You see, Paul taught in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that we are saved through faith and not of ourselves by works. But as you read on in verse 10, he also states that good works must accompany saving faith. Let's look over at that. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice that not only are we created in Christ Jesus for good works, but that God prepared beforehand 
those works that we should walk in them. Ladies, the Christian walk is not idle. That is why they call it a walk, right? 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Ladies, we need to walk the talk. We need to be open to the opportunities that God sets before us and be faithful in them. So we have clearly shown here that Paul and James are not contradicting each other. You see, faith brings a person to salvation and works brings a person to faithfulness. You know, someone has said that faith is like calories. You cannot see them, but you can see their results. How true is that? As we live our Christian lives, ladies, there should be evidence of our faith resulting in spiritual growth and fruit produced by our good works. If we continue to live in our old sinful lifestyle with no change, no repentance of sin, no results to show a changed life, then we need to reevaluate our lives. Because if Christ is truly in you, you will see a changed life, a changed heart. A new person will emerge. And we should see the results of this. And this is what James is saying. Let's read James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, verse 14 doesn't say, what is the profit if someone has faith, right? But rather it says, But what is the profit if someone says he has faith but has not works? James here is appealing to those who say they are Christians that they need to walk the talk. If they are truly Christians, then their lives should show it through their works. We have faith in a living God, right? And so if we truly accepted Christ into our hearts, then it cannot help but manifest itself outwardly. If the outward manifestations of faith are absent, we have every reason to doubt the existence of faith inside. Let me put a face to what I mean. Let's say there was once a man who came to the pastor and said that he wanted to be baptized. When asked where he had heard the gospel, he answered that he had never heard the gospel but had seen it. He then went on to relate how he knew this man who was once a very violent, angry man. And then this man became a Christian and his whole life was altered. I want, he said to the pastor, the power that did that for him. Ladies, that is an example of living faith. You know, sometimes we are going to be the only Bible that people read. 
If we truly have Christ within us and have truly accepted Christ into our hearts, then our lives will manifest it through a changed life, through our works for God. We are to be examples to those who are lost. If we profess to believe in Christ but keep on living in sin, then we need to reevaluate what we are really putting our faith in. James goes on in verse 14 to say, Can faith save him? Well, we need to clarify faith here, don't we? If we take this out of context and we just read, Can faith save him? Then we would have to say yes, right? A true heart faith in the finished work of Christ on Calvary saves, right? Yes, faith in Jesus Christ saves. But this is not what James is saying here. When we look at it in context, James is saying, Can a profession of faith save him? There is a big difference, ladies, between can faith save and can a profession of faith save You see, anybody can profess to be a Christian, but if that profession of faith is just lip service, then it is a dead faith, right? It is not a saving faith. But if that profession of faith is truly a heart-changing, life-changing experience in the one true God, then and only then is a true saving faith. The late Greek scholar Spiros Zodiades said, Faith which implants God's nature in the heart of man is a saving faith and the faith which does not is not saving faith ladies we need to stop living sinful lives don't we we need to repent of our sins and fully give our lives to Jesus Christ we need to fully trust God in every aspect of our lives and live accordingly to illustrate the Christian faith in action James proceeds to give us an example in verses 15 and 16. Don't you just love it? James not only tells you like it is, but he gives you examples to get his point across. Let's read verses 15 and 16. It says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Notice the language here. James is talking about a child of God in need, a brother or sister in Christ. If our physical children or parents were in need, we wouldn't hesitate to help them, would we? So how can we hesitate to help our spiritual family? Paul also talks about meeting the needs of our spiritual family in Galatians 6.10. He says, Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then the Apostle Paul also is in total agreement with James. He writes in 1 John three seventeen and 18, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Ladies, we cannot possibly claim that we have the love of God in our hearts if we don't manifest it toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, can we? Three times James warns us 
that faith without works is dead here in chapter 2, verse 17, verse 20, and 26. To help put this into perspective, I have a video clip that I would like you to watch. Faith, works, salvation. Man, talk about your polarizing topics. Everyone has an opinion on them. Can we work our way to heaven? Does it just simply take faith? And what is an authentic faith? Well, let's investigate the arithmetic behind these important questions and see how the truth really adds up. Some people believe that works equals salvation. Simply put, this is man's effort to work his way up to God and become acceptable in his sight. This is the view of religion, that lots of good works equals salvation. However, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hmm, sounds like something is wrong with our equation. So, let's scratch works and replace it with faith. Surely that's all we need to make our equation correct. Well, we need to tread carefully here. Faith is ultimately what makes us acceptable to God. And we know without faith, it is impossible to please God. But this equation is incomplete. James chapter 2, verse 17 says that faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So, works must be factored into the equation. One popular view of the salvation formula is faith plus works equals salvation. People think that belief in Christ is important, but that salvation is still dependent upon doing enough good with their life. They rightly acknowledge the expectation that works are involved, but they confuse why they're there. It may be subtle, but it's wrong. Why? Well, look at this quick math lesson. We can all agree that 2 plus 3 equals 5. Thus, since this equation is true, it also means that 3 equals 5 minus 2. A true equation holds up regardless of how you move the pieces around. We call them fact families. So let's return to our formula. If faith plus works equals salvation is true, then the formula of faith equals salvation minus works must also be true. And Professor James has already reminded us that this kind of faith just doesn't add up. Let's try this one more time. We are saved by faith. But James does add something to the equation by challenging us with what our faith should look like. It's not that works create our salvation. Rather, it's that works should accompany our salvation. That's an authentic faith. Growing in Christ-likeness in such a way that our lives bear the fruit of good works. And yes, I know what you're thinking. If this fact family is true, then faith minus works equals salvation must also be true. So if you have no works, are you saved? Let's just say while we can celebrate God's amazing grace, the expectation of God's word is that we would see the fruit of your real faith. So while the math adds up, it should bother you that your life does not. The fact is, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith which saves is never alone. Still not sure about all of this? Well, you do the math. So the formula needed to verify if our faith is true saving faith should be proof of a faith that produces fruit, right? James 2.18 says, But someone will ask, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. 
You can have a fruit tree, right? But if it doesn't bear fruit, it's useless. Well, the same goes for faith. You can profess to have faith, but if your life does not produce fruit, then it is useless. It is dead. Ladies, your faith should be revealed through your works. Then look on in verse 19. It says, You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You see, just to say that you profess that Jesus Christ is God is not good enough, ladies. Even the demons believe. You have to accept him into your heart. Confess your sins. Ask him to help you live accordingly to his will in your life. If you truly ask and believe, then your life will reflect it. Let's continue on in chapter 2, reading verses 20 to 26. It says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the Spirit was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Here we see James uses Abraham and Rahab as examples of people whose faith was proved by their works. You see, Abraham's faith was proven to be a true and living faith by his works. Abraham was called a friend of God. He had an intimate relationship with God and he believed God and walked in communion and fellowship with him, following the living God. The point is clear. In verse 24, as it reads, You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now justification is an important doctrine in the Bible. Justification is the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous on the basis of Christ's finished work on the cross. It is not a process, ladies. It is an act. It is not something the sinner does. It is something that God does for the sinner when he trusts Christ. It is a once and for all event and it never changes. So you can see what James is saying here in verse 24. Just as the great theologian John Calvin wrote, It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. Ladies, true saving faith can never be by itself, right? It always brings life, and life produces good works. So the person with dead faith has only an intellectual experience. In his mind, he knows the doctrine of salvation, but he has never submitted himself to God and trusted Christ for salvation. He knows the right words, but he doesn't back it up with his lifestyle. Well, Abraham is an example of this, as we see in Romans 4.3. It says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is referring back to Genesis 15, 6. 
And then, many years after Abraham first believed, James shows us that his faith was tested by God, right? In James 2.21, as it refers back to Genesis 22, where Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac. Well, see, Abraham's obedience to what God asked him to do was proof that he had a saving faith. Ladies, true faith is a living faith, a faith that works. A faith that stirs in a person to live for Christ in obedience to what we are asked to do. You see, that his faith and his actions were actually working together, weren't they? Abraham was not saved by faith plus works, but by a faith that works. A true saving faith obeys God and proves itself in daily life and works. Turn over to Titus 3. Verse 8, it says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Well, Rahab is James's second illustration of faith that was proved by her works. Now, we read about Rahab in Joshua chapter 2 and 6. She was a harlot that lived in Jericho, and at this time Israel was about to invade their promised land and take over the city of Jericho. Well, Joshua had sent in two spies into the city, which is where they had met Rahab, who ended up risking her life to protect and hide them. You see, Rahab had heard about the Israelites' God, and she believed, as we see in Joshua 2.11. She didn't just believe, but she acted on that and risked her life to protect those Jewish spies, didn't she? And she further risked her life by sharing the good news of deliverance with the members of her own family. You see, Abraham and Rahab are very different people. Abraham was a Hebrew, the father of the Israelites, a faithful follower of God. Whereas Rahab was a heathen Canaanite, And as such, she belonged to a group of people who incurred the wrath and punishment of God. But what was said of Abraham, who was at one end of the spectrum, was also said about Rahab, who was at the other end. They were both justified by the active faith. Their works, ladies, were evidence of their faith. Now, one indication of the standing that Rahab received as a result of her faith is that she was one of only four women listed in the genealogy of Joseph, the husband of Mary to whom Jesus was born, as we see in Matthew 1, 4, and 5. Well, ladies, saving faith takes the whole person and not just part of us. The mind understands the truth, the heart desires the truth, and the will acts upon that truth. We all need to examine our lives individually to make sure that we possess the true saving faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. And then ladies, as you examine your life, I want you to ask with the psalmist, As he said in Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, 
and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, ladies, Satan is the master deceiver. And he doesn't want you to walk in faith as Abraham and Rahab. He wants to lull you into a false faith. Ask God to reveal in your life areas you need to mature in. If you truly seek God to know Him personally and to do what He says, if you truly live in obedience to the Scripture, then your life will reveal it. Examine your lives. Do you desire to do good works as unto the Lord? Do you seek to grow and mature? Or are you just satisfied to stay where you are? Do people see Christ in your life? Or are you a closet Christian? Matthew 5.16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are, ladies, to let our light shine before men. It doesn't say for men, but before men. We are to do good works to bring honor and glory to our Father in heaven, not to our own personal gain. In closing, I'd like to read you a story. That was sent to me about a person who found themselves inspired by a conversation that they had heard on the ham radio. It says, A few weeks ago, I was shuffling toward the garage with a steaming cup of coffee in one hand and the morning paper in the other. What began as a typical Saturday morning turned into one of those lessons that life seems to hand you from time to time. So let me tell you about it. He said, I turned the dial up into the phone portion of the band on the ham radio in order to listen to the Saturday morning swap net. Along the way, I came across an older sounding chap with a tremendous signal and a golden voice. He was telling whomever he was talking with something about a thousand marbles. I was intrigued and stopped to listen to what he had to say. The conversation went like this. Well, Tom... It sounds like you're busy with your job. I'm sure they pay you well, but it's a shame you have to be away from your home and your family so much. Hard to believe a young fellow should have to work 60 or 70 hours a week to make ends meet. And it's too bad you missed your daughter's dance recital, he continued. Let me tell you something that has helped me keep my own priorities. And that's when he began to explain his theory on a thousand marbles. You see, I sat down one day and did the arithmetic. You know that the average person lives about 75 years? Now I know some live more and some live less, but on average folks live about 75 years. Now then I multiplied 75 times 52 and I came up with 3,900, which is the number of Saturdays that the average person has in their entire lifetime. It took me until I was 55 years old to think about all this in any detail. And by the time I had lived through over 2,800 Saturdays, I got to thinking that if I lived to be 75, I only had about a thousand of them left to enjoy. So I went to a toy store and bought every single marble they had. I ended up having to visit three toy stores to round up 1,000 marbles. I took them home and I put them into a large clear plastic container right here in the shack next to my gear and every Saturday since then I have taken one marble out and thrown it away 
I found that by watching the marbles diminish, I focused more on the really important things of life. Ah, there's nothing like watching your time here on earth run out to help keep your priorities straight. Now let me tell you one last thing before I sign off with you and take my lovely wife out to breakfast. This morning, I took the very last marble out of the container. I figure that if I make it until next Saturday, that I have been given a little extra time. And the one thing we can all use is a little more time. It was nice to meet you, Tom. I hope you spend more time with your family, and I hope to meet you again here on the band. This is a 75-year-old man, K9NZQ, clear and going QRT. Good morning. Well, you could have heard a pin drop on the band when this fellow signed off. I guess he gave us all a lot to think about. I had planned to work on the antenna that morning. Instead, I went upstairs and woke my wife up with a kiss. Come on, honey. I'm taking you and the kids to breakfast. What brought this on, she asked with a smile. Oh, nothing special. It's just been a long time since we spent a Saturday together with the kids. And hey, can we stop at a toy store while we're out? I need to buy some marbles. Ladies, the marbles are running out. But it's not too late to live your life to the fullest for Christ. It is not too late to ask Jesus Christ into your heart. It is the most important thing you need to do. It will affect you throughout all eternity. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 2 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Ladies, God knows when your marbles are going to run out. It could be today or it could be years down the road. The thing is, we don't know. Therefore, we need to live every day to the glory of God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be held accountable for what we did with the opportunities that God has given us. And all ladies, I want to hear along with every one of you, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you? I hope to see you, God willing, next week as we continue in our study of the book of James. Until then, go count your marbles. God bless.